0: you so much for joining me. I'm here again to serve you a tonic in the form of sparkling and insightful conversation with a brilliant guest over a number of plates of wonderful food, chatting and eating, basically, or eating and chatting, whichever way round you prefer. My companion across platefuls of chili-laced Sichuan Chinese food is a comedian, actress, musician and presenter who shot to fame co-presenting the topical comedy news show The MASH Report for the BBC. One of her brilliant satirical monologues on an interview with Donald Trump by Piers Morgan went very viral. I'm talking in excess of 26 million views. The show earned her a BAFTA nomination and went on to become Late Night MASH on the comedy channel Dave. She's also known for her piano based comedy songs, presenting a Game of Thrones fans show, and for being part of the West End improv group Ostentatious. Today we talk about being suddenly famous, the hugely popular lip-sync series she did during lockdown, and why nits are scary. It's the multi-talented Rachel Paris
1: him in lederhosen doing lonely goat herd from the sound of music standing on our table in the living room i think i think was a a slow day
0: and just a quick note there is a brief discussion on late miscarriage and a lost pregnancy towards the end of this podcast and we occasionally use some very strong language indeed I'm standing on a corner in London's Soho by a restaurant called Bar Shu, which is a Sichuan Chinese restaurant. There are loads of Sichuan restaurants in London, but when this one opened, I think about 15 years ago, it was a bit of a revelation because there really hadn't been much like it. Um, they've recently launched a new menu. I've been coming here for years. Uh, delightfully, Rachel Paris said she had no dietaries at all and we could take her wherever we liked. So I thought, ooh, I'll take her to Bar Shu. Our table is waiting in the private dining room on the top floor. Hello! Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. At How are you? I'm very well. Have a seat. Thank you. Keep your hat on if you like. It's, it's still warming up up Maybe here. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. This is Oscar, who will be serving Hi, us Oscar. today. Hi. Are you across Sichuan food? No. You're allowed to say no. No, I'm not. Yeah. Before we get to that. You know, I've I've been reading a book and I've been watching all the stuff online because now you you can't, you know, you leave footprints in the snow digitally. And I I say this in a very positive way. It strikes me that you're quietly livid, furious about quite a lot of things in a very honest and open way. Is that an unreasonable description of you?
1: I can see why you got there. It's interesting because I think the things that have gone viral are my work on The Mash Report, which is some of my work. And for that I have to do and want to do satire about political situations and social situations, which are infuriating. And really I can only write them if I'm furious about it. Otherwise, what are you going to say? You can't feign outrage. You no, I can't. I can't feign it and I can't write it. You know, that what it's very hard to write a comedy show or piece or article in the newspaper with no angle or opinion. And if the opinion is, I'm sort of fine with this actually, everything's all right, <laughs> then it's not gonna be a very good piece. Uh, so we, we find topics that, that actually are, that need addressing and that need addressing in a opinionated, sometimes furious way.
0: Getting the tone of the particular monologues that you did, did you work on that tone, which was sort of demure but livid?
1: That is, I would say, the tone that's run through all of them. That was just what came naturally in terms of performance. And then in the writing, me and uh, co-writers would aim to do that tone in the writing as well. Because it's not far off what I do on stage in my live shows, but turn it up with like little phrases like nervous Normans and things like that. Turn up the slight tweeness kind of of it.
0: I wanted to re-watch the one about Trump and Piers Morgan. (laughs) So explain that what that one was.
1: That one was about Piers Morgan's big interview with Donald Trump that happened... Thank you. That happened...
0: Uh, Tea topping up going on in case everybody's wondering why randomly <laughs> Rachel's just saying thank you in the middle
1: of it. <laughs> just sending a prayer to Piers Morgan. Yeah. So he had interviewed Trump in 2018 and... He would basically, in spite of Trump already being a horrendous asshole, um, Piers Morgan had gone really easy on him and just asked him like questions about his hair and um, what he liked to do, and just like was really pally with him instead of what was needed, which was a really you know proper challenging interview. So the piece we did was about how to tell the difference between a puff piece and a proper piece of journalism. But the art <laughs> that accompanied it was a picture of. Piers Morgan with like his head up Donald Trump's ass, basically. Yes, I,
0: I put that on Twitter and hmm. Piers Morgan blocked me.
1: He hasn't blocked me. Has he not? Which leads me to, but I think Piers Morgan knows exactly what he's doing. You know, he claims not to have liked it. He went out of his way to get it as much attention as possible and it would have gone much more under the radar if he hadn't repeatedly retweeted it. <laughs> And drawn attention to it. But everyone said, oh, he's such an idiot for doing this. And I was like, he's not, is he? He knows exactly what he's doing. He's got a plan. And when I got, um, no, this sounds like such a clang, when I got nominated for a BAFTA. Uh,
0: Did you get nominated for a BAFTA, Rachel yeah. Paris? Yes. Did sorry you? sorry
1: to mention it. Um, it just slipped out. He, like, uh, quote tweeted or whatever it was then, uh, the news about that and said, you're welcome. Seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you've got a menu to your yeah. left are there any things you don't eat that you don't like
1: awful um.
0: okay we can avoid the awful we can definitely avoid the awful
1: in like our family i'm known as like the vegetable dodger but i'm not it's just, especially in like you know spice and interesting flavors love
0: love it. Um, do you trust me he says
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: i mean i'm not legally obligated to finish it, am I? No, you're not so, legally obligated. So you, haven't, caveat, you haven't signed
0: me. a form. <laughs> we won't judge time. you. Yes. I mean, I'll quietly judge you. Yeah, of
1: course, but I expected that.
0: <laughs> On the inside. Yeah. So, can we get some of the mixed dumplings in chili oil? Yep. Uh, the salt and pepper soft shell crab? Yep. And the claudia fungus? Yep. To start. And then the gongbao prawns? Yep. The fragrant chicken and pile of chilies. You don't eat the chilies. The twice-cooked pork, dry-fried green beans. Would you like that with minced pork or without? Without. Okay. Um, that's Is that for your family so that they can hear you saying, no, I'll just have the vegetables? <laughs> yeah. Can we get we, stir, stir fried noodles with bean sprouts? Yes, we got another traditional dandan noodle. Not the dandan, just fried uh, noodles. Just fried noodles. Noodle, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed that. I haven't been ordered for. Really? <laughs> since I was dating bad men in my 20s, you know. <laughs> so well, I mean, it
0: is kind of, it is a bit of a kind of mansplaining thing to do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: but in this context, it feels like the right
0: thing to do. If you could just say that r- with real force. It really So does. that people don't listen and go, oh <laughs> Christ, look what he just did to Rachel Paris.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's the right thing. Uh, it may seem, you know, according to... Gender roles and the ordering for and everything, but I'm fair. I'm fairly passive about food. I like to be presented with things okay. and given ideas. So I'm actually
0: that, I'm very that, happy that's about actually it. that's what's going to happen here. Have a have a, <laughs> a Sichuan peanut. I will. You suddenly get a lot of attention, and you've made it clear that wasn't entirely comfortable.
1: No, I think I was wildly underprepared for it.
0: Did, Not, you, did your Twitter following really go from like 400, to 40,000 in, yeah. in a week?
1: Yeah, it became yeah the most viewed certainly video on the BBC ever within a few days uh because
0: were they clipping things yeah in that sort of James yeah. Corden-esque YouTube-ish way of finding the bit they were
1: these things move so fast now don't they in terms of what people are used to and what goes viral but even in 2017 to the start of 2018 it was a different world from what it is now and the BBC weren't used to doing things that went viral I do think I wasn't prepared for it and they sort of put me on TV shows to talk about it, but I was also like, oh, I don't know what to. Start. I didn't have any media training or anything like that, and I was it was scary because you know half half the world, you know, Trump supporters, Brexit supporters, when we did Brexit ones, were absolutely furious and let me know, and that included normal people I know. I don't just mean like Twitter trolls and things like that. If you're a comedian who's normally doing political comedy, which I wasn't. You're used to your opinions being controversial. But going viral and also suddenly being an opinionated comedian doing political stuff, for me, happened in the same few weeks
0: of my life. How did you respond to it, emotionally?
1: I um, waited a year and had a mental breakdown, (laughs) to be honest. Seriously? (laughs) Yeah. That year was insane and there was a lot happening. So that was happening uh, live at the Apollo and Mock the Week. All the panel shows happened within a, month, a few you months. You were suddenly famous? I was suddenly famous. Basically, everything changed uh, very quickly. And I think I was, like, dealing with it, dealing with it, dealing with it, exactly, like, a year later, after, like, the last guest left after Christmas. I just literally flipped and had, like, just panic attacks for two months. That's pretty grim. Yeah, it was pretty grim, actually.
0: You see, people would assume that if you've chosen a career on stage and making audiences laugh that you want yeah. the attention and the audience that by any means necessary. Were you surprised by your own response to it?
1: I do, apart from by any means necessary. There's such a huge difference between going to a theatre and going on stage and performing your comedy songs at a piano mm. <laughs> to people and doing a political piece that goes viral worldwide and you're getting messages from India, America, Australia and things like that, Wishing You Cancer, the difference between those two things are huge. And I will say I'm always going to be more comfortable doing comedy songs in a (laughs) theatre, basically, than doing that. Except that you
0: did go back. Exactly. And and do other series.
1: uh, And I I hope to go back in
0: the future. Were you disappointed when BBC dropped it?
1: I was disappointed at the way it happened. They didn't really talk to us about it or tell us why. And then Dave came along. We were like, oh, all right, cool.
0: You've done one series Mm -hmm. with them. Yeah. Do you know what happens next? Are you at liberty to tell us?
1: I am not at liberty to tell you.
0: Oh, fantastic! <laughs> well, I'm delighted that your career is moving in that way, then. Thank you. This fungus.
1: Wow, thank I've you. I've got long
0: arms, so we will go closer to you. Thank you. Um, thank
1: you very much. <laughs> oh, right. Shall I spoon a bit on?
0: Yeah, why not? Whatever feels comfortable. This
1: looks great. So is this mushrooms?
0: Yeah. Mm. When did you start playing the piano?
1: When I was six. Um, That's very early. uh, Yeah, I just carried on and it became my thing. I was playing the organ in church. My favourite bit was both when I was a teenager, right up until a couple of years ago, was playing for communion, which, depending on what church you're in, I was allowed to just have just free reign, just play whatever you like, just make it up. Great American
0: Songbook, Nirvana.
1: (laughs) Well, you could, couldn't you? Could you? You could disguise it. If you do it in a sort of churchy way, you could get away with it. Ah,
0: Mm. This is soft purpose, soft crop. Thank you. Thanks very much. So I'll, I'll, I'll push it your way. And what is it? Soft shell crab.
1: Oh. Now, do you just bite into that whole You can
0: just eat the whole thing.
1: OK. That's really nice, by the way. <laughs>
0: it's good, isn't it? Mm. Was there a particular point when you thought, oh, I might be funny?
1: Yeah, very specific. Oh, um, oh really? It, when I was 23, I auditioned for an improv group in Oxford called The Oxford Imps. And the audition for that was the funnest thing I'd ever done on stage. (laughs) It was a side that I didn't know before. I think I I still sort of have got in my core, like, I'm a dramatic actor.
0: Yeah, but it has to be said you toured as part of Ostentatious, which is an improvised Jane Austen drama. It is. Inspired by the third suggestion from the audience on the night.
1: Yeah, but that's the sweet spot. That's why we invented it.
0: What has to underpin an improvised Jane Austen story?
1: you don't have your character decided yeah. completely. Like, it's very witty and everything, but you do have to actually care I mean, whether Lizzie does How,
0: long, how long an improvisation are you doing? Hour and a half. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Mm. It is, yeah. The one bit I know about improv is no blocking. Mm. You go with someone's idea, you don't go yeah. against their idea and all yeah. of
1: that. That can be quite difficult in the long form because yeah. you've got an idea of, like, I've got the perfect way to wrap up this story in such an interesting way, but someone else has got a different idea for that. So... Dropping your shit is what we call it.
0: Dropping your shit? Is that a technical term? Yeah. But the writing of comedy songs, when did that start?
1: 2009, I think. I was actually playing piano for a few sort of like sketch groups and things like that, background piano. And I was at one of those gigs and I got chatting to a booker and she said she was booking a night coming up and she had a gap and she was looking for someone. And I said, I'll do it. And she said, Oh, are you a comedian? And I inexplicably said, Yes. Um, and she believed me because why would you lie about well, that?
0: I, uh, were you, what's the word I'm looking for? Sober?
1: No, to be <laughs> fair, I probably, probably was a bit drunk actually. I haven't thought about that before. Yeah, I probably had had a few drinks.
0: Yeah, had you ever performed comedy in front of a live or a, a, a Beyond Getting Last for the improv? No. Okay.
1: It was a really eclectic, weird gig, it was in Cable Street. She in the East was, end. Yeah, yeah. In this like abandoned dusty warehouse, and there was like someone painting the gig in the corner on an easel, and there was someone in a cupboard doing like a one on one weird, dark, dramatic play. Um, I think I was actually one of only two or three comedians on the night. So is
0: your very first gig captured in oils?
1: Yes, yeah, somewhere.
0: Not many comedians can say that. <laughs> You get the job on uh, Game of Thrones. The the uh, well, sorry, that makes it sound like you. No uh, one ever talks about this, by the way. I love it. Well, it, it strikes me as quite an important one because you hadn't done much TV before that, had no. you? Mm. Mm-hmm. No. Sorry, just for, for for the record, Rachel Paris has a dumpling in her mouth, and that's why. <laughs> and he's looking quite sheepish about it as well. <laughs> Explain this uh, Game of Thrones job. Were, were you a big R.R. Martin fan? Had you read all the books?
1: I hadn't read all the books. I had read, like, the first couple. Someone saw my Edinburgh Fringe show that year, someone hired... And this was the show on Sky? Yeah, sorry, this was the Sky Atlantic show that aired immediately after Game of Thrones that was, like, the fan show. Yeah, I was a huge fan of the show and I became more... I then went...
0: Is that part of your nature?
1: I think so, yeah. So I'm into something already, like Jane Austen. Then I go full pelt into it, read all the books twice.
0: Was it all right dealing with the fans?
1: I remember the first time I got called a cunt was through Thronecast on Twitter. I read it immediately before going on stage to do a gig. And it's weird because I'm, I'm very used to it. It did throw me before going on stage. I was like, oh, it, it did it did. Where did hurt. you read it?
0: Was it was it in uh, Twitter? No, it was
1: on Twitter and added into like... Oh,
0: specifically wanting yeah? you to know.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was like, who's this blonde cunt? She doesn't know shit. Loads of comments about <laughs> my legs, weirdly.
0: Um, oh, so great. So you were objectified the moment you...
1: Hugely, hugely. Uh, which was very new experience for me. It never happened in comedy or... It was a, a, an interesting introduction to the world of television and... Uh, perhaps quite a useful thing as well, to be like, OK, so you will get judged for how you look. I was like, oh, OK, so this is part of it. And how I should stand as well in terms of how you appear on camera. You just camera. put your hand
0: on your hip as though that was a, a, a requisite part Yeah, of...
1: there was a thing about, like... Um, I don't know how much I've used it since, but I was advised to actually lean forward uh, as you're addressing the camera, lean forward so that you're head and upper body sort of appear slimmer and your lower body appears smaller.
0: Nobody ever told me that trick. So you have this book, uh, Advice from Strangers, That's which right. was basically advice collected from your audience on a tour.
1: That's right. A few years ago, yeah. Yeah,
0: and and you've answered or responded to the advice. That's right. Lots yeah. of little bits. The most of
1: interesting or unusual bits of it. Yeah.
0: It says, "Don't sleep with the bassist."
1: <laughs> yes.
0: We've actually shared a bassist. Robert Rickenberg.
1: Oh, my God, of course.
0: Uh, and anybody listening to this podcast on a regular basis will hear Rob play the theme tune to this with me. Wow. So your thoughts on bassists are, uh, I disagree, bass players are likely to be dependable, quietly confident, a team player, not attention-seeking, and have good rhythm and skillful hands. Right. And I thought, she has met Robert.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm on the money there, Robert.
0: Right? Uh, you, you, are, you are on the money. Um, and, you know, is it unreasonable to ask if you have uh, ever, you know... Slept with a bassist.
1: There's been a lot of musicians, Jay, I would say that. I don't OK. I think if there's been a bassist. Yeah, there has, yes. A, yes.
0: Um Yes. <laughs> but you also said don't sleep with the lead singer.
1: Yeah, I think that's trouble, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I'm married to mine. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, they also say don't date a comedian, and uh, both me and my husband have broken that rule, so...
0: The tour that produced this book, or has it been many tours where you've asked for bits of advice? No,
1: just one small tour.
0: Was the original idea that you could get a book out of it, or were you hoping to use it for material all the way down the line?
1: No, I had no idea it would ever be part of a book at all. But the, the idea was that I would use the bits of advice that I collected from the audience each night in the show that I was doing that night. I did keep them. And so, year, what, four years later, when someone said, do you want to write a book? Have you got any ideas? I said, it's not a fully formed idea, but what I have got is hundreds of pieces of genuine advice from strangers all over the UK.
0: We use it for jumping off points for some very personal stuff. And there's a whole passage about losing your baby. Yeah. And it's an extraordinary read. Thank you. And Well, it
1: is. Cute. It sounds weird to say thank, thank you about you. that. Yeah.
0: It's a very carefully written piece. Yeah. And you are careful right at the start to say some people may not want to read this.
1: I don't love the word trigger. I think it's overused and it's got a stigma attached to it now, but...
0: Go on, uh, use it. I'll
1: use it. But it, I felt very easily triggered by anything, f- films and shows uh, about uh, newborns and labour and uh, baby loss, obviously. But even just small babies and. Just to be clear,
0: you you, you lost your pregnancy late. I mean, it, yes. You you're you're very interesting on the the use of language. Yeah. Because some people like to call it a, a late miscarriage. Yeah. The me- the
1: medical term is a late miscarriage, which is. Is fine, but it's. It, I do think that on first glance it can be misleading because you, if it depends when you have it, but for me it was 21 weeks and at that stage you do give birth, so it is in a way closer to a stillbirth. I, I know some people for whom it's happened, you know, at 39 weeks, and I can't imagine the pain of that. So, yeah, the language is important to really understand what the process is.
0: Did you feel? a responsibility to write it, or did it strike you as a massive opportunity to deal with the experience through writing about it?
1: The latter, I think. I I didn't feel a responsibility. But actually, it was when I was in hospital, both leading up to and recovering from what happened, it was very clear to me then that I wanted to talk about it for me.
0: Oh, dishes are coming in. Hoo-hoo. I'm not going to stop. We're going back to this. Yeah. And you say a fraggling chicken with a powerful chilli. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. You can see little fried pieces of chicken in yes. among the red chillies. Yes. Do not eat the red chillies. You pick through. Okay, avoid the chillies, right. Yeah, you just leave them. You, you treat them as a flavouring. And the amazing Lovely. thing about it is you think this is going to be an incredibly hot dish, but it's actually not. It's about flavour.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean.
0: Yeah. So there's an opportunity to write something more personal.
1: Talking about those experiences, you can be accused of wanting attention. What I say in the book is that you actually do want some attention for the baby that you had. There's so much excitement around the pregnancy and everyone's talking to you about the baby you're going to have and you're getting the house ready and you're getting everything ready. And tragedy happens. And then no one wants to talk about it anymore. And of course, they're helpful and comforting. It's actually quite a bit too visceral for some people um, and too hard to think about that you gave birth and that was a baby. And for me, I felt like I'm not ready to just completely draw a veil under it and I want to mark it in some way because there's no way to mark it.
0: Does that give the book more importance to you as the document of that?
1: Definitely, yes. (laughs) I sent out proofs. To uh, a few people in the process that you do, and, yeah, sure. you know, trying to get quotes in advance, and I could tell who had read it and who hadn't read it from people, people who know me but don't know what's in the book, who were just like, "How about this for a quote?" Out and, and out, out hilarious. No yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um, "Sure." <laughs> this so, is such an interesting dish, by the way, isn't it? Because it's like it's not spicy, but it has got that. Like my tongue is tingling.
0: That's the numbing peppercorns. Mm which um, make your tongue vibrate. I've got a friend who's a professor of uh, philosophy who turns up on the kitchen cabinet, available wherever you get your podcasts these days. Uh, and I think he said it makes your tongue vibrate at 50 megahertz.
1: Wow. <laughs> I can feel that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not the exact number. <laughs> um,
0: but that means I've got off the subject of your book. It is very funny. It is also very funny. Thanks. One piece of advice is you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm. And you come up with a big, long list of all the things you have to be afraid of. There's loads of things to fear. <laughs> so, knits. Obviously, yeah. knits terrify you. Yes. Y- have you had knits? I'm a 55-year-old man. I've had two children.
1: Of course you've had knits.
0: Yes. And, and you've got lots of hair. And I've got lots of hair. I mean, it does, you know, as a moment, it does tend to pass. Yeah. Um, but not for you, because you do have a baby in the house. <laughs> You are now a parent. He hasn't got much hair, though. <laughs> how old How old is your baby? How- seven months. He's seven months, mm. yeah. He's really you know, cute. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and that's beautiful, and he will be knit-infested at some no, point. No,
1: never. <laughs> My boy will never have the knits. It,
0: will he not? What else is it that you absolutely are terrified of? Fear of the far right, fear of the far right giving you knits. Yeah. Um, I mean, these all seem pretty reasonable to me.
1: Well, and through your life, fear of getting pregnant, fear of not getting pregnant, fear of getting pregnant by the wrong person at the wrong time.
0: (laughs) Actually, in a way, you know, I said right at the top that one of the things that strikes me is that you are quite cross (laughs) in a a very gentle, (laughs) measured sort of way.
1: That's probably true, actually.
0: There's whole passages. You're talking about misogyny. You're talking about period poverty. The terrific story of your period starting in the middle of a performance of (laughs) Ostentatious. Which
1: I wasn't angry about.
0: (laughs) No, no. But you probably wish that you had turned off your radio mic when you went... Screaming into the dressing room and asking if anybody had any.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is, that is getting me.
0: Is it? Is it too much? Mm. All right.
1: There are things I'm angry about, but there's plenty that is, that I'm very grateful for as well. I am an Aggie feminist and there are a lot of feminist issues. Like, you know, there's a whole chapter about the trope of the mad woman. You know, women being labelled as crazy. The be kind movement, which drives me up the wall. Um, Oh, tell me about that. The phrase be kind and more to the point the hashtag be kind on Twitter and Instagram is wildly overused and is utterly meaningless. I I, I say in the book someone saying be kind to you really just makes you want to say uh, to who? Uh, for what? Uh, where? Am I not being? Like if you just put it out in the ether with no context it's pointless but it gives the person who says it a sense of being the moral high ground. I give an example in the book of an interview between Philip Schofield and an influencer who was flying around during the pandemic and just taking sort of, you know, bikini pics as as part of, I suppose, her job. But everyone else was in lockdown. And he said, Is it appropriate for you to be flying all over the place, possibly spreading COVID when everyone else is in lockdown? And she just replied, Well, just be kind. I just think if you can't if you can't be kind. <laughs> where are we and it's just this isn't about kindness is it
0: you are still flying around the world in the middle of covid
1: yeah things like that wind me up but also the book's about being in love and valuing your friends and finding comfort in things during lockdown
0: there was a brilliant thing which was your description of failure to reach orgasm and then telling chaps and then they'd really put their back into it like they were you were a project of trying to Put the shelves up. You know? That's
1: right, yeah. <laughs> I envisage them like fixing the headlight on their um, <laughs> miner's helmet.
0: There are noodles with bean sprouts, there is chicken and a big pile of chillies with numbing peppercorns. Were there any bits of advice that came your way that you almost wanted to put in but just couldn't? There was it's one. fine, I know we're eating, but it's fine, just go for it. There
1: was one, it was something to do with butt plugs, but it was like, only put things in your ass that have, I can't remember now, but then it said, this is from a mother and daughter in the audience. <laughs> and I sort of wanted to put that in, but then I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to say about that,
0: to be honest. Well, I'm sure you could have riffed on mother and daughter relationships <laughs> yeah, and yeah, an openness yeah. and a...
1: But I thought I had a few sort of sex chapters in there, so I thought, OK, well... You th- probably... you,
0: do you you'd think you'd done enough?
1: I've probably got enough.
0: You are married to a comedian called Marcus Brigstock. Correct. Um, during lockdown, you and Marcus... I'm not sure which bit came first, the comedy nights or the lip-syncing.
1: The lip-syncing, did.
0: If ever I've seen a manifestation of two people locked in a house together...
1: <laughs> Doing over-elaborate... <laughs> costume and lighting
0: <laughs> so what was the idea how did it start
1: yeah I think I was just lip syncing along to Trouble by Iggy Azalea and he was like that's awesome you should film that and we were like okay just for fun we filmed it and put it on Twitter and people were like do more so we did we decided to do one every day and prompted more by Marcus than by me the, right, um, I love the
0: fact and it was his idea uh, <laughs> if you didn't like it it's nothing to do with me
1: but, like, the light, everyone was like, where are you getting this from? But Marcus is, like, I would say, A, a hoarder and, B, a fan of gadgetry. So we genuinely own Strobe Effect, Smoke Machine, because he hosts, like, Prince Fest at Latitude every year. So we've got a massive costume box. I was very a purist on the lip... I was like, the lip sync should be about the...
0: The purity of purity The purity
1: si- of the sink. And he was more into... As I saw it slightly. Were there, were set there out any of these things
0: went uh, proved that you were slightly on the edge of sanity and it had gone?
1: Him in Lederhosen doing Lonely Goat Herd from the Sound of Music, standing on our table in the living room. I think I think was a, a slow day. <laughs> but I do think we were losing our minds
0: by that point. Okay. You're gonna be on tour again?
1: Yep. It's called All Change Please, with the tour that was postponed from 2020 and postponed again and postponed again when I had a baby <laughs> so postponed twice not my fault and the last time let's say was my fault
0: <laughs> okay I love it I love the fact that not my fault not my fault was my fault that
1: was my fault yeah
0: <laughs> but I think you can forgive me yeah um for anybody who doesn't know Gombao prawns come with uh, cashew nuts and more chilies because it's Sichuan food and there's lots of chilies so, if you uh, has the sweat started to pool under your, under your eyes?
1: Not yeah. yet. I feel I've had a sort of cleanser with the noodles, which okay. are not spicy. So, I'm ready for the, the onslaught of spice again.
0: Okay. But they're not too spicy. Um, at that point, we have a couple of other things still arriving, but we'll we'll plough on through them. Mm. I'm going to say um, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch.
1: Thank you. Thanks for taking me out to lunch.
0: Um, and I hope I didn't, you know, just throw chillies at you in too grander fashion there's green beans as well look vegetables vegetables Rachel mm. Paris for the record for the rest of your family Rachel Paris is I'm now taking some green beans yes. to her plate and she looks quite enthusiastic Marcus will them.
1: be honestly like astonished but they look nice
0: well we'll take a picture of you with the green beans <laughs> for proof. And, and you can uh, yeah pr- proof of life <laughs> enjoy but really thank you very much it's been fabulous
1: thank you so much lovely to chat to you
0: Thank you, Rachel, for your sterling efforts with the chilies. It really was worth it. And thank you, too, for the delicious food from Barshu in London, Soho. Rachel's tour is called All Change, Please. For tickets, go to rachelparis.com. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-P-A-R-R-I-S.com. And her book, Advice from Strangers, is available from all good booksellers. If you love the show, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get them. Uh, and please do share this as widely as you can. You can do this by sharing this episode by email email or simply showing your friends on their podcast app also if you comment to give us five stars on apple Podcasts, it really does help us to keep bringing you more of this out to lunch is a something else and jay rayner production the music was written arranged and performed by me jay rayner and robert rickenberg The recording engineer was Josh Gibbs, and the mix engineer, Gulliver Tickle. Assistant producers are Onya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem, and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's the Malaysian stand-up comedian and viral social media star known for his role as Uncle Roger. It's Nigel Ong. My agent at the time uh, sent that video to Jamie's team. They said what she heard back was, oh, we saw the video, and the quote was, mixed reactions from the team. Mixed reactions to the thing. And we all know that's a British way of calling Mm. someone a cunt, really.